This is the Tao of Christ, and I am Marshall Davis. In this podcast, I explore the mystical roots of Christianity, which Jesus called the Kingdom of God, which I refer to as Christian non-duality, unitive awareness, or union with God. Others call it non-dual awareness, liberation, enlightenment, or spiritual awakening. It is the heart of all spiritual traditions. This is the Tao of Christ. Good afternoon, this is Marshall Davis. I have been receiving quite a few questions recently asking me how I would interpret certain passages in the Christian scriptures. People quote verses that seem to contradict what I'm saying, they won't want me to explain it. For example, I recently said in an episode that heaven is not a place. That is a spiritual reality, not in the hereafter, but here now. Someone asked me how I would then explain Jesus saying that he's going to prepare a place for us. Let me read the whole passage. Jesus says in this famous passage often read at funerals, that I've often read at funerals. He says, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prayer to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Well, here Jesus uses the word place repeatedly in these verses, and that seems to contradict my assertion that heaven is not a place. That's just one example. I have received several other comments that quote a verse, and they'll say, what about this verse? How does that fit? So I thought I would do an episode on how to interpret scripture from a non-dual perspective. You could call this a non-dual hermeneutic. The cause for most of the confusion is the typical Christian understanding of Scripture. A lot of Christians think that every verse in the Bible has to be in harmony with every other verse in the Bible, that there can't be any contradictions or disagreements. Christians, especially the more conservative varieties, see the Bible as the infallible, inerrant, authoritative Word of God. They see it as a divine answer book where every verse in all 66 books is completely consistent with and compatible with every other verse in the Bible. There are no errors, and not only that, but there can't be any contradictions or any disagreements among any of the biblical authors. That assumption that most Christians work from is simply not true. There are contradictions and disagreements all over the Bible, and anyone who is not deliberately filtering them out will notice them when they read the Bible. A good example of this is what the four Gospels say happened on Easter morning at the tomb of Jesus. You know, when did they come? Who came? How many angels? Was the stone rolled away or not? A whole bunch of different details. And they contradict. There's no way that you can harmonize the details of these four accounts. Now, people say they can by having 
disciples come and go, come and go, and all sorts of things, but their solutions are so convoluted that they are laughable. People distort the biblical accounts and make it say something other than it does in order to make it conform to their idea of biblical inerrancy. Now, where did that idea of Scripture come from? Certainly not in the Bible. I have said before that nowhere does the Bible say that these 66 books are infallible or inerrant in everything it says. Spiritual matters, historical matters, scientific matters. That idea that it, that it is inerrant in all those ways does not originate from Scripture itself. It is brought to Scripture and imposed upon Scripture. People read Scripture through that filter. When people assume that the Bible is literally true and cannot contradict itself, they will go to bizarre lengths to demonstrate that theory. The Bible is viewed as a giant jigsaw puzzle where every piece fits together perfectly. The problem is that the pieces do not fit together. and There's no reason to think that they should fit together. Fundamentalists try to put the puzzle together perfectly, but at the end of their project, they're left with a whole bunch of pieces that don't fit. Huge holes and, and gaps in, in the jigsaw puzzle. And they'll explain that by saying, well, uh, the Bible is inerrant, but we aren't, you know. We can't fit these pieces in because we don't have full understanding of God's mysterious ways. So we just have to trust that the pieces fit together somehow. Just have faith. So the puzzle is left unfinished, or or a lot of times they take puzzles and they, they twist them and they cut off pieces and they paste pieces on in order to make it fit. This model of scripture is one seamless, perfect whole is not found in the Bible itself and does not fit the evidence we have from the Bible. There's no reason to think that every book, much less every verse in every book, has to agree with every other verse. And there's no reason to think that what I say or anyone says can agree with every verse in the Bible. That view of scripture is false. I cannot and no one else can explain every verse. The Bible is not a magical book that gives one answer to every question. The various understandings of biblical authors changed over the centuries. So when people ask me, what about this verse? I do not need to make that verse or that writer of that verse agree with me. They may or they may not. I don't feel the need to fit every verse in the Bible into some grand systematic theology of Christian non-duality. It's not about getting every idea and every verse to fit into the cosmic non-dual jigsaw puzzle. Non-dual reality is beyond ideas. Non-duality non is beyond the mind, which is, as I've, said, as I've said several times, the meaning of the word repentance. I cannot and do not feel the need 
to explain every verse. Having said that, a lot of scripture does fit a non-dual reality, non-dual model of reality. Now, not all of it. In fact, most of the Bible is very dualistic. Much of the Bible does not teach non-duality. I freely admit that I would be dishonest if I pretended the Bible is a great Christian handbook of non-duality. It's not. But throughout the Bible, there are glimpses of non-dual reality. And that's true of some books in the Bible more than other books of the Bible, some authors more than other authors. Jesus' words, in particular, are filled with pointers to non-dual reality. And that brings me back to the passage that I quoted at the very beginning of this episode about Jesus preparing a place for us. I will make that an example and I'll give my interpretation of it. Now, that verse does sound very dualistic, as if Jesus is physically going someplace. That place is his father's house. That he says has lots of rooms in it, or as the King James says, many mansions. Jesus is talking as if he's a manager of a heavenly hotel and he's getting rooms ready for his disciples. Now, do people actually think there is a literal hotel, a holy day inn, somewhere with separate bedrooms for each of us, or maybe family suites? The word used in the Greek text here for place is the word topos. We get the word topographic from it, like in topographic maps, which show the terrain identifying places by elevation as well as latitude and longitude. The word topa sure sounds like a place, but only if you take that literally. And that's a problem with most Christian interpretations of Scripture. Most Christians make the mistake of taking everything literally and assuming that's the only way that you can take it. But as a friend of ours used to say, we had to take scripture literarily and not literally. Treat most images as figures of speech and not scientific or historical facts. Taking it literally doesn't make sense. If someone insists that Jesus is talking about a real place, I would ask them to locate that place, that topos, on a map, a topographic map. Give me GPS coordinates for our Father's house. Give me an address. They can't do it because heaven is not a place. If you press them, they say it is a place, but not a place on earth. Then tell me exactly where not on earth it is. Is it in the atmosphere, in the stratosphere? Is it between here and the moon? Is it in our solar system? Is it beyond our solar system? Is it in our galaxy or beyond our galaxy? Where is this place? Well, they'll say it's not in space either. Well, if it's not in space, that's not a place. Because a place 
by definition, is in time and space. Now, if you keep pressing them, they'll likely admit that it's not a physical place at all, but a spiritual place, which means that it's not a place because a spiritual place is an oxymoron. To call something a spiritual place is actually to use the word place as a metaphor, which is exactly how Jesus is using it in this passage, which means that heaven is not a place. When the Gospel writer pictured Jesus ascending physically to heaven, that's not to be taken literally, as if Jesus is physically flying to some place beyond the clouds, just out of sight. That story is symbolic. It is using a physical metaphor to point to a spiritual truth. Just like when Jesus said he was a door, he did not mean he was made of wood and had hinges and a doorknob. Our dualistic language and our dualistic mind can only think in dualistic categories. That is the only way it can express itself. And when it tries to go beyond the, the, the literal and the physical, then it can only use metaphors and symbols. And these images are to be interpreted that way. They are meant to point beyond dualistic thinking to that which is beyond mind, beyond space, beyond time, beyond duality. And that is how I interpret Jesus's sayings. If you take his words literally, they of course will sound dualistic, but Jesus is pointing beyond dualism. That principle of interpretation is even more relevant in other passages in the Bible that were written before Jesus or written by or written by somebody else other than Jesus or spoken by someone else other than Jesus. I interpret all such passages in the Old Testament and the New Testament in light of what Jesus said in Jesus' teachings. When you take the words of Scripture literally, you miss the teaching of Scripture. You're reading them through a dualistic lens that distorts them, but you read, when you read them through the non-dual lens of Christ, you see clearly. The Apostle Paul actually uses this metaphor about different ways of approaching Scripture. Paul says that most people wear a veil over their minds and hearts when they read Scripture. Paul writes, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, 
beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Wow! That passage says it all. To read Scripture literally is to read it with a veil over our heart and mind is to read it with a closed mind and a closed heart. But when one reads it from non-dual awareness through Christ, who is the teacher of non-dual reality called the kingdom of God, then the veil is taken away. We see clearly. We are free. And when Christ sets us free, we are free indeed. And that is it for today. Grace and peace to you. That is the Tao of Christ for today. Thank you for listening. You can access other episodes of this podcast at thedowofchrist.com. You can also find these podcasts in video format at my YouTube channel at christiannonduality.net. My blog, Spiritual Reflections, can be found at marshalldavis.us. There you will also find a link to my books and my email address. Join me next time for another episode of The Tao of Christ.